This is the Unmuted Podcast by Mosaic, hosted by Bella Passi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unmuted Podcast. I'm your host, Bella Passi. Unmuted is a podcast where we host conversations on pressing issues in today's society, including things like social protests, Black Lives Matter, COVID, and reconciliation. We will host interviews with a diverse group of students from the PLNU community. Unmuted focuses on topics that may be considered hard to talk about, but show that by having the conversation, we can start the change that is needed in these times. And for today's conversation, we will be talking about the immigrant experience first and second generations. With me, I have Zhang Yoon, a resident director in Goodwin, and Christina Rangel, a leader in the new club on campus for first-generation college students, Loma First. We're so excited to have them here with us today as they share their experiences with the campus culture here at PLNU. Hey everyone, welcome back to Unmuted. We are back again. I am so excited to be here, um, to be here with all of y'all and to be here with our guests. Um, I'm especially excited for today's topic um, because I think it's something that's going to be new maybe to a lot of our listeners Um, and also a little bit newer to me. So I think I'm pretty excited to learn and stuff. But before we get started, um, I just want to have each of you introduce yourself, um, you know, your name, um, what you do here on this campus, um, and anything else you want to share about it yourself. Awesome. Uh, hello, guys. My name is Christina Rangel, or Rangel. I don't make people roll the R's because it gets tricky. <laughs> um, I've been part of the Point Loma community for about five years. So I'm starting my sixth year, um, and I work in the admissions department. I've done all sorts of things, processing, admissions, counseling, and I'm currently an admissions processing, uh, sorry, an admissions support manager at the university. And so it's really fun. I get to work with retention and enrollment. I work alongside of Dr. Scott Shoemaker. I get to work with our students, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, I've been married for five years, and uh, we have a one and a half year old. Her name is Camila, and Mm. she keeps us busy. (laughs) Thank you. Hey everyone, my name is Jong Yoon. I am the RD at Goodwin Hall. This is year three at Point Loma. So I've been here basically since the pandemic. I have not had a regular year here and I'm starting to question if I brought it. Um, (laughs) (coughs) I was at Biola for seven years, did my undergrad and master's over there and then have been working in residence life for the last five years and um, feel it a privilege to have a dream job like that. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Um, so excited to have you both here with us. Um, and today we're going to be talking about the immigrant experience and kind of specifically um, first, second gen experiences. Um, so to kind of dive in before I kind of intro maybe some of the more context, right, of what we are talking about when we talk about immigration, all these things. Um, I just want to hear from you guys, like, you know, what is your own relation Um to the topic of immigration, um, and can you share with us just a little bit about your story personally? Awesome. Um, So I was born in Mexico City. I, my family moved to the States in 1989, and so it's been quite some time. Um, For our family, it was definitely an opportunity for us to have a better life. Um, I think that all parents, especially now being a mom, you always think about your children and you think of what's going to be best for them. And where we lived in, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't the best situation. And so my parents thought about how can we take care of our daughters? Because during that time we were three daughters. 
how can we give them an opportunity to do something better? My parents obviously didn't go to college. They um, ended up getting pregnant when they were about 17, and so they started off really young, and they didn't want the same lifestyle for their children. So my parents brought us to the States. Um, it was obviously, it's new. It's a foreign country. It's a different language, culture. Everything's different. But everything was, at the same time, very magical, right? It's beautiful. There's palm trees. We moved to San Diego, and so San Diego you know, sunny San Diego, who doesn't want to live here? And so we were in all of this beautiful, magical paradise that we had just moved in. But at the same time, there was also a lot of newness to this country, to this new place, right? Starting a new school, starting a new, you know, um, learning a new language. And so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to live in this country, and I'm really thankful that my parents took that step of faith and took that risk. Um, but it also came with a lot of difficulties along the way, and I think we'll be able to unpack that a little bit more later on. Um, but I'm, for me, in my heart and in my mind, I'm definitely grateful that I get to be part of this country. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, um, I am a first generation. Um, my family immigrated from South Korea when I was about three, just about to turn four. Um, there's a lot of tension in the immigration story, but I would say for now that they also wanted a better life for us, and life wasn't super poor or anything in South Korea, but there was opportunities that could have been had here in America, and so we traveled over to a little city called Ventura, California, and um, I didn't really know much about, you know, what was normal, what was not. All I understood was I once lived somewhere and now I live somewhere else and all of a sudden I don't really speak the language, but I was young enough where, like, Korean was already my first language, but I was quick to pick up English. But I remember always at a young age looking around and wondering why I looked different from everyone. And I didn't really unpack the idea of how immigration affected me probably until later in high school, because um, I didn't really understand uh, what it meant to be from somewhere else. All I, just, I just lived what I was told to live. Mm -hmm. And I think had conversations been had earlier about what we were doing, how this might affect us, how to both stay true to who I think I'm supposed to be and the tension of who I feel like I'm being made to be through assimilation, I think that could have been much helpful conversations and probably a lot less therapy after. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say that for now. Yeah, thank you guys both for sharing. Um, and I think it's interesting, especially when we talk about immigration, um, because while all the issues I think we cover on the podcast um, are ones very near and dear to our heart and um, I think are topics that are tender because they always have something to do with our identity and things like that, um, I think immigration, even in that, um, there's something very personal about it um, when it's something that's a direct relation to you. And so I want to kind of ask you, you know, first, like, what does it feel like to be asked something, um, asked about something so personal, private, um, and polarizing? So that's my first part of that question. And then in that, like, what do boundaries in this conversation look like for you? I would say boundaries are pretty easy for me when people ask about stories 
especially regarding immigration, my natural response is just like, what do you hope to do with that information? Mm. And I have a, I try to get an idea of like, what's the goal? If your goal, like a lot of people today, is to argue something that might not be a first degree experience for you, but is for me, then mm. it's like, I kind of gauge your, their own self-awareness and their intentionality and their ability to communicate like what they're hoping for from the conversation. And if I feel like, hey, this is something that you just want to fight and personally, I actually couldn't care less what the other person thought, then I don't engage. And that's kind of like how I set my boundaries. Um, in regards to the, just the personal experience, I think communicating and sharing is done really carefully just mm -hmm. because um, there's a lot of distrust, obviously, in immigrant communities, especially when it's uh, like election season, and I guess it just feels like the polarizing tension has never stopped. So um, I am more careful. I feel comfortable sharing here because um, you guys sent the questions beforehand, <laughs> and I thought that was really well done. Thank you. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you. I think that the topic of immigration can be such a fruitful and helpful, healthy conversation to have when both hearts are in the right place or you know both sides of the conversation, right? When you're generally trying to understand and learn and come to a point where you can start seeing the world through that person's eyes. Obviously, we're different people, but we can have the capacity to try to comprehend and be compassionate and and empathetic towards the other situation. And so I'm the same way I gauge where is that this person coming from? Are they trying to have a healthy conversation or is it just trying to prove their point, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that the Bible talks about, you know, it, for us to be wise with our conversations and, and try to be at peace. Now, it doesn't mean that we should, shouldn't be smart and speak about what we believe in, but we shouldn't do it in a way that is just going to create conflict and tension for the sake of it. Um, in terms of the topic itself, I think that it's really encouraging and exciting when we get to sit around a table and talk about, hey, what is immigration? Let's let's talk about what is it like to be an immigrant? And like that's so cool because we get to understand each other's experiences. When you talk about immigration in a political world, it makes my heart really heavy, right? Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes it's used as a weapon to <coughs> turn people against each other for the purpose of a political party or for the purpose of a policy. And that's where it gets really hurtful because there's a lot of stereotypes that are thrown like bullets, right, to turn each other against. And that's really hurtful. Um, I think that for me, and I think we'll talk about this also later on in this conversation, but something that I've, and I told my husband this, um, uh, and I've told my husband this before, and I'm like, when I dress up and I, when I get ready in the morning, it's my personal mission to represent myself well. Obviously, to represent Jesus Christ well, but to represent my community well, and that is the Mexican community, because there's a lot of stereotypes about who we are and the things that we are not, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and that that's that hurts. And so, for me to be able to, and that's a big burden to carry, right? Because you're carrying the burden of your culture, but at the same time, I take that very personally, that the way that I look, the way that I dress, not that I do it for others, I do it ultimately because I, this is who I am, but I want to shine a light into who the Mexican community is. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's really exciting. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I think as we enter into that conversation, I think it's just <coughs> something that's helpful, um, especially to our listeners who, you know, hopefully take things away from this conversation as well and maybe get more interested in immigration and want to pursue um, learning about it more, but 
that reminder of um, being intentional in how you approach people, um, educating yourself first before you go to others for education when it's something so that so near and dear um, to the heart as well. So thank you guys both for that. Yeah. Um, I want to provide a little bit of research in terms of like, what are we talking about when we talk about immigration? Um, I think it can be really confusing if you're not familiar with it. So I have a little bit here. So first of all, I want to um, get the definition straight between immigrants and refugees, both of which have been popular words in headlines recently. Um, so an immigrant is someone who makes a conscious decision to leave their home and move to a foreign country. This is from the uh, International Rescue Committee. Um, on the other hand, a refugee is someone who is forced to flee their home because of war, violence, or persecution. Uh, there are far more immigrants than refugees in the U.S. Um, in fact, the United States has more immigrants than any other nation in the world. Today, more than 40 million people living in the U.S. were born in another country, making up almost 14% of the population. Mm. California is home to the largest immigrant population of any state with over 10 million immigrants. Um, and this is from the Pew Research, key findings about U.S. immigrants. The immigrant population in the United States is highly diverse. About 25% of immigrants are originally from Mexico, while the next largest groups come from China with 6%, India with 6%, and the Philippines with 4%. In terms of public opinion towards immigrants, two-thirds of Americans believe that immigrants strengthen our country, while about a quarter of Americans say that immigrants are a burden. Um, here is the interesting... Uh, here, it's interesting to note that 75% of Americans are third or fourth generation immigrants, so the issue should feel close to home for the vast majority of us. Um, and I think that's a statistic that not a lot of people are very aware of as well, um, but is very relevant to when we're having conversations about immigration and things like that. Um, so that just provides a little bit of context, I think, for maybe some of our listeners who have never really like delved into this before. Um, I want to talk now a little bit more about really your own personal experiences um, and how that is impacted, I guess, kind of the way in which you view the world and the lens um, of even the U.S. and things like that. Um, so one of the things we'll touch on is like culture shock and a bunch of other things, but just in a general sense, you know, if you had to like kind of summarize it, how has your, and I don't like saying the word summarize, but I guess really like reflect on it. How has your immigration experience, you know, for you impacted how you currently view the United States? Um, I think for me, I, I, I've said it at the beginning, and I'll probably say it multiple times, because it really does reflect my heart, and it's, I'm grateful to be in this country. It's not perfect, mm. but I don't think any country is. I think um, when we're in heaven, right, the Bible says that um, God will make everything new, and then we'll be in a perfect place where we can dwell and live forever but while we're here on earth there's not such thing as a perfect country and so being in the United States for me has been a, a great opportunity and I'm really grateful it's given me a lot um, I've had the opportunity to earn a bachelor's degree a master's degree I've had the opportunity to travel I've had the opportunity um, to come to know Jesus I came to know Jesus here in the United States um, I've had the opportunity to, you know, meet my husband and marry and have a daughter. We've had the opportunity to purchase our home. And so this country has given me a lot. And for that, I'm really grateful. There are things that are really complicated along the way. I've definitely have experienced um, stereotypes and people who have been um, maybe frustrated sometimes by my accent because they can't understand something or sometimes because of the color of my skin, I'm treated a little differently because I do look Hispanic. 
And so, and those things can be hard to deal with. Um, but th I think that that would probably be the case in any other country too. Maybe not in the same degree, but you will probably experience that. And so for me, being part of this, um, of, of the United States has been a blessing. And part of it, I think too, I, I, not part of it, but I, I definitely have to say that it's been Christ using this opportunity for me to live in this country. And he, he says that all things work out for those who love the Lord. And I believe that it's been good for us to, and when I say us, I mean my family to be in the United States. Once again, not everything's been perfect. I've had to have difficult conversations with people who don't agree with me, who think that you know the immigration community is um, a burden onto this country, mm. who've had stereotypes against me, against my family, because you know my family is imperfect. But I'm, I think that the good far awaits the bad. I mean, how long do you have? <laughs> um, yeah, this is this is probably the, one of the harder questions because it's directly asking how has it impacted my view of the United States. Um, I think quick quick summary is my family immigrated from South Korea. We came with green cards, visas, and then along the way, my parents. Uh, had used their life savings to apply for citizenship. Mm -hmm. And you usually do that through law firms because you don't speak the language. And so they went through a law firm and, and put all their life savings. And like many experiences for immigrants, they were con artists. So they took mm -hmm. all the money and they fled. And so um, that sent my parents in a season of hiding out of fear of deportation and all these other things, even though we had taken all the proper steps to immigrate in the first place. And so now, to this day, I'm a, a DACA visa holder. And I would say um, my experience has shown me that this country wants what you could offer it, but doesn't want to repay you in the process and mm -hmm. doesn't want to create a space for you that says, like, you actually belong here. Um, even though they want to say that, mm -hmm. I don't think they actually believe that. And so um, being a DACA visa holder is a really unique situation because you are often set in this limbo. And with the two power party system, they will often use DACA visa holders as pawns in their big chess game. You know, Republicans have their thoughts, Democrats have their thoughts. Mm -hmm. and. Outside of an executive order, I have never really seen actions that have shown that there's actually love for the community, mm -hmm. especially during COVID and the pandemic when there was over 30,000 healthcare workers that had, DACA visa, that had DACA visas, and that's when they suspended it. Mm -hmm. And so it just shows you, even in a pandemic, even when 30,000 healthcare workers are trying to help <laughs> save, the, save the country, mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, but we still don't see you as valuable. And so it's drastically altered what I think about the US um, as a government, not as the people who have loved me dearly, mm. um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I both feel indebted and grateful and um, deeply wounded at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think, you know, those feelings, those reflections are something that, from what I've heard from people close to me, is something that is um, 
shared sometimes and stuff and it is very dependent obviously on your experiences but this feeling of when you look at policies when you look at things and how it's reflected of okay well what are you saying about me then Mm -hmm. what is the implicit message that I am receiving about my value and what that is to you um thank you for sharing that um and I kind of want to you know from that then talk about um how your parents views compare in that as well because I think sometimes um there's this interesting thing of you know when your family um as children your family is the one who makes that decision to move over and stuff um and so even just like the timing of and stuff you know how has your um views regarding the U.S. has it aligned with your family or has it been um at times because you grew up and had a different experience here and stuff um has it looked different in comparison to their own views and things like that yeah there's a lot of tension I think (laughs) the uh, conflict we have is like even on silly things like if I were to tell them I don't want to marry a Korean girl I want to marry an American girl or a white girl Mm. that would be like blasphemy mm. <laughs> and then I'm like why did you bring me here then? <laughs> right yeah. and so that's like almost a, a silly tension but the reality is is they share often with me like you try to get this country to love you but they'll never love you mm. and I have more love for the country than they do mm. based on their own personal experiences mm-hmm. whereas I, I hold that almost like the tension of this feels more like a home to me than South Korea does mm. Um, and yet they're telling me I don't belong here when if I went to South Korea, I don't know if I belong there. Mm. And so that, that's the tension where they're like, you have to stay true to who you are. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't even know who I am. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know who actually wants me or who is going to spend the time to care for me and raise me. Mm. And those are some conversations in my later high school years. But that's that's the common conversation, especially for my dad. Is like you just, you you keep trying to get them to love you, but they'll never love you. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm like neurotic. Like I will win them over, <laughs> even though every time, you know, new governments come in place, whether a Democrat or a Republican, it's the message is pretty clear. When there's a certain structure of power, mm-hmm. regardless of the party, um, it's really clear who's at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in the sense that both uh, my parents and me think that this was a better opportunity than staying where we were, we agree. And I'm grateful for them for that. Um, I agree that our parents want us to stay true to who we are, right? Like, don't forget to speak Spanish and speak Spanish properly and not, you know, like the choppy, you know, Spanish that you mix, the Spanglish. No, like you speak Spanish properly um, you know, continue to like, you know, the traditional music, continue to enjoy the spicy foods and, you know, all of the tacos and everything, like, con- stay true to that, but still move forward, because we brought you here to move forward. Um, I think I experienced <coughs> some of the contradictions or the differences in what we viewed um, in this country when I started going to college. As a first-generation college student, everything's new. And so my parents brought us to this country so that we could pursue higher education and you know, become something bigger and better than they had. But when you start going to college, you start learning things that you didn't know before. You start figuring that things work differently, that there's better ways of doing things. There's better ways of raising a family. There's better ways of um, setting a successful path for yourself. 
And I think that sometimes the conflict happened and that my parents almost felt that I was trying to be better than them. Just because mm -hmm. you're now you're in this new country, you think you're better than us. Just because you have a college education, you think you're better than us. And I think that that was kind of their fear. And I don't think that it was maybe so much for the country, but it was more for themselves. Like, you are looking down on us now because now you go to college and you think that you belong to this country, right? Mm. And so I think that kind of like the imposter syndrome kicks in real quick because <laughs> you're like, am I supposed to be here? Like, right. should I, what, what's going on? Um, in terms of the way that my family views the United States is um, my dad was deported about six years ago. So it's a long, long history that I would have to unpack, but just my dad didn't always make the best decisions. We went mm. through a lot of domestic violence. Um, and so he was deported about six years ago. He currently lives in TJ. And so I have the opportunity to go to TJ and visit him, you know, um, throughout, throughout the month. And whenever I talk to my dad, my dad longs to be back in, the country, in this mm. country. And so he doesn't have to verbally tell me, I think, good things about this country. Because in his longing to be here, I know that he would prefer to be here than he would prefer to be where he's at right now. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, I think we agree. We're grateful <coughs> for this country, but at the same time, they want us to, when I say us, I mean my siblings and myself, to stay true to us being Mexican and, and holding on to that culture too, not just mm -hmm. putting it aside and becoming something completely different than what you are. Right. That's so interesting. Um, just like those dynamics in general, and you guys both talked about it, um, and we talk about culture shock, and I think that's something that, I mean, you guys might have experienced it too. When we talk about culture shock, we're talking about um, a sense of confusion and uncertainty, sometimes with feelings of anxiety that um, may affect people mm. um, who are feeling exposed to an alien culture or environment with, um, an at, without adequate preparation, right? That's the uh, definition that Mary Webster gives us. Mm. Um, but more so growing up, here and stuff, it can look a little different um, yeah. in terms of like the direct effects of culture shock, and more so maybe we're talking about things of like pressure of assimilation um, versus like integration. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when we talk about assimilation, we're talking about this thing that implies that the host culture entirely replaces the individual's culture of origin. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas integration, on the other hand, involves adaption to the host culture while still maintaining one's original cultural background. Mm. Um, and you guys kind of both touched on it with just like the influence of like your parents and things like that. Mm. But have you guys ever kind of felt that pressure of the assimilation versus like integration aspect? Mm. Yeah, I uh, up until about the age of 12, 13, I like only listened to Korean music really. Um, I watched primarily Korean TV shows and some English cartoons. Um, I think the difference between the two, as I have experienced them, I don't know if this is technically like the right term terminology, but I've known assimilation as like you must do these things to be accepted by the host culture. Mm. Um, like if you don't, then you will always stand out in a way that is, like, not helpful. And I've known integration as, I think, just navigating, like, what parts of my own culture am I, like, man, I don't find that respectful, honoring, true to who I am. And there are qualities in American culture that are, are beautiful mm -hmm. and honoring 
because Koreans are so stubborn and prideful. I mean, like everybody, <laughs> but I can only speak really to Koreans. And there is things about Korean culture of like respecting your elders that's like really beautiful and I think really lost in American culture and like the familial ties. But I think Koreans navigate this reality of honor and shame in a way that's detrimental to so many people. You don't talk about mental health in Korea. That's like taboo, right? And so I think part of integrating into American culture is really understanding that there are things that um, in America we emphasize that is so good and Mm -hmm. so helpful. And then that's like our own choice. We are choosing to integrate some of these qualities into who who we are wanting to be and aspiring to be and who we think we are. Whereas assimilation feels like you must do this in Mm. order to be accepted. And if you don't, then you'll never be one of us. Mm. And I think I've experienced both, definitely. Um, Hopefully that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of sense. Thank you. Yeah, I I agree. I think that part of the assimilation process, which is not what we want, right? We want to feel integrated. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel connected to everything that's around us. But I think assimilation happens a lot, especially as you're growing up, right? Because part of it is you're young, right? Like you're 13. What 13-year-old wants to stand out? Like what 13-year-old wants to be the oddball? I mean, some do to grab attention and to make themselves special, right? But most of the time, we want to feel like we belong. That's, that's just who we are. And so I think that for a majority of our, of my like um, elementary, I want to say all the way through high school, I had this battle of feeling inferior and feeling um, that I needed to do work a lot harder so that I could be accepted and, and be, um, be part of the group and the crowds. And so I think that when I went to college, I started seeing, because obviously I started at a community college, uh, San Diego City College, and there's such a pot of mixtures of people, right? Different backgrounds, different ages. Um, you have older folks, you have younger folks, you have women who are Latinas, who are uh, African-American. And so it just, you realize it's okay to be different. Like it's okay to pursue an education and be different. Whereas when you're in middle school and high school, everything's kind of the same. And so I feel like I felt like I needed to imitate other people and kind of like copy paste, right? Like this behavior is acceptable. I'm going to do this. This is, you know, and so, um, because otherwise I even felt embarrassed, which it hurts me to say that out loud, but it's true. Like you feel embarrassed of maybe yeah. even your parents, right? Because my parents totally. were blue collar workers. My mom, you know, cleaned homes and my dad, you know, he would drive around his little truck and collect pallets to make ends meet. And so that to me embarrassed me because I didn't want to stand out because, you know, most parents go to an office and my parents yeah. don't go enough to an office. And I think when I started going to college, um, I started seeing that it's okay to not be like everyone else because your journey is different. And part of it comes with maturity. Part of it comes with um, your faith, you know, and growing in your faith. Part of it comes with having that confidence in who you are and discovering that who you are is worthy. And so there's some, so much to unpack there. But I think that it's, it's such a, a complicated situation when you're younger. And I think that even in college, I went to Biola University and, you know, I went, I started there like back in 2004. So, you know, a couple years ago. 
And I felt <laughs> different, right? Because most of the population at Biola is, is um, it's Anglo. And so I'm brown and I have an accent and I'm starting to figure things out. And so you, you feel different. And so you feel like, do I belong? Like, should I be here? Can I even afford it? Mm. I mean, back then, I mean, going, living on campus and tuition and everything was about $30,000. Um, obviously, it's a lot more now. <laughs> but, um, but for me, that was a lot of money, right? And so to think, do I belong here? Like, can I even afford it? So I think to deal with some of those things, it's, mm. it's, that, that, that's, that can be really challenging. But I think when you start having a group of people that invest in you, that encourage you, not because you're Mexican, mm. but because you are who you are and you're worthy of that, right? Because mm. you are capable of having an education, because you're capable of being smart and intelligent and all these things, I think that's when I started feeling empowered and I decided that I wanted to be myself and in the process I would integrate. I remember when I was dealing with the decision of going away to college, I was scared because I didn't want to leave my family behind, right? Because I'm 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 piecing out on my on my on my tribe and I'm letting them and leaving them behind to pursue another opportunity. And I had this, um, her name is um, Emily Ackles, or she's now married, so she has a different last name, but I remember she was this full-on white girl who just had a heart for the Hispanic community, just loved the Hispanic community, just wanted to invest in the community. And she took me under her wing, and she was my mentor during that time. And I remember when I was debating whether I should go away to Biola or stay home and be with my family, and I remember her telling me, Christina, the best way that you're going to change your family is if you earn an education. Mm. And when she said that to me, like, pff, like my world just, I mean, when you're 17, that, that just, it's a powerful thought. Right. And so I say that because I started making decisions for myself that were good because other people invested in me and allowed me to believe in myself. And that's when I started feeling I was integrating, that I didn't necessarily have to copy paste all of these things to try to fit in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you both touched on, um, experiences and I think navigating these different concepts right that I think a lot of students who have close ties on this campus to immigration um, are also probably navigating um, and how they fit in on this campus as well and stuff um, and you know we did a episode last week on loma culture student mm-hmm. culture um, which is great in itself and stuff um, but part of that was talking about assimilation, integration, all of those things. Um, and so I want to kind of revisit that, but in the sense of, you know, for you, what has your experience been like as it pertains with immigration then on this campus, on the Point Loma campus? Um, even in the sense of, like, do we talk about it? Is it addressed? Um, do we, like, are students aware of it? things like that even. Um, is this something that's even discussed? If so, like, um, what are the ways in which we provide support and things like that? I would say in fairness, if it is being discussed, I'm not super aware of it, but it doesn't mean it's not being discussed. It's not like I have ears on every part of campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the spaces that I hold, um, I have yet to really hear impactful and helpful conversations regarding um, immigration. Um, You hear a lot of like xenophobic comments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You hear a lot of other comments and alien comments or illegal comments. Mm -hmm. Um, But to give this campus some credit, like you also hear stories 
of some students, maybe not the broader university hosting these conversations. Mm-hmm. Gosh, but I've had really uh, impactful conversations with students who have shown uh, the election that came out this last year, mm-hmm. or sorry, last year, this last election. Um, I had two RAs text me um, right before, and they said, I'm voting thinking of who you are and mm-hmm. what you mean to us. And I just, I like almost started weeping. Mm-hmm. I, so we have such incredible humans here, but as a broader university, if they're talking about it, uh, I don't really know about it. And so, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think one, having this podcast is a step in the right direction, right? Having the opportunity to give us a space where we can speak about our experience and hopefully speak about the experiences that others have had. Obviously, everyone's experience is so different. But I do think that it is important to have conversations um, because you start humanizing the topic, right? Um, Otherwise, I think we, when we hear the word immigration, we automatically, all of our prejudices come along with that, right? And you automatically think of all the things that your parents taught you that you've heard on the news, that you've, you know, seen on, on, um, you know, social media with, you know, um, videos that are not a representation of what immigration really is about. And so I think it's important to humanize the topic because when you start hearing people's stories, you get those aha moments and you're like, huh, they're not so different than I am, right? Like they still have those struggles. They have a heart, they matter, they have dreams, they have goals. And I think you can really have effective conversations Mm. because when you start throwing laws and policies and politics and right, like we get so caught up and involved in in vocabulary and terminology that we really don't come to the heart of the conversation, which is people matter and people matter to God. And I think that um, being a a community of faith, um, myself being a person of faith, I think that my faith trumps everything else, whether I... Um, understand things or not, I want to be able to see different topics the way that Jesus would see the topics, right? And and how and having the wisdom to listen and all of that. So having those topics is really important. Does it happen all the time on campus? I don't think it does, but I think that this step is uh, this conversation here on this podcast is the step in the right direction. Um, we're also working on a project that's called Loma First. Um, And it's an opportunity for us to create better resources for first-generation college students here on campus because that's another topic that we don't really talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the cool thing about it is that Loma First isn't just for the diverse community. It's not just for um, Koreans or for Mexicans or, you know, um, what have you, but it's for anyone that has... um, that this is their first, they're, they're, they're the first in their families to pursue a college degree. And so I say that because these conversations are important. And when you start having these conversations, you start being open to having other conversations. And so definitely grateful for this podcast and this space. Do these immigration conversations happen often? No, but I pray that when they do, we do them in a way that we are intentional about trying to understand that person and mm. humanize the topic rather than just see them as a target to attack. Mm, yes I love what you've said there and I think that's like a perfect transition into um, you know like I said a lot of our listeners most of our listeners are students on this campus and stuff and so um, hopefully as we end this conversation being able to provide them with some tangible Mm. tools um, to walk away from this conversation 
especially if they decide to later engage in conversations or they have the opportunity to engage in a conversation, um, how to approach it. So with that in mind, and also I think um, with this idea that there's other students who share similar experiences to you, um, keeping that in mind as well, what would it look like for you um, or other students who have similar experiences to feel seen um, and understood on this campus? I think for me, um, and I know that I keep saying the same thing, but it's true. The fact that one of our students saw me and said, wow, she might be a good candidate for this podcast, allowed me to be seen. And so I want to say thank you for that. Mm. Thank you for giving us a place where we can share our story and that this story won't stop here, but that it'll go to other listeners. Like, that's powerful. Um, I think also... Um, giving us, and I say us, I said the immigrant community, the opportunity to showcase what we are capable of doing, right? A lot of the times we are um, seen by the things we are not able to do, right? Like you can't speak proper Spanish, English, or you can't do this, or you can't do that, but we are good at a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. Like any other human, just because I'm Hispanic doesn't mean I'm limited in my capacity to do X, Y, and Z, right? I'm still very hardworking, I'm still kind, and I'm still loving, and I'm still joyful, and I'm still all of these things that anybody else is. And so I think um, something that would be really powerful is really starting to pray and see, God, how can I see this person for who they are in your eyes? <laughs> Um, and it might sound cliche, but it really is the best way to see people, right? That my prejudices, I could put them aside and really just kind of start on a blank canvas trying to figure out, okay, who are you as a person? Rather mm -hmm. than me coming in with an ideology of, oh, you're probably this kind of person and that person and this person because you are of a Mexican background. But they, hey, who are you? Like, just ask me how I'm doing. How is my husband? How is work going? And when we start having those conversations, I'll be able to tell you more about who I am. And, um, and I think that that's a healthy place to start a conversation. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's good. How can someone feel seen and understood? It's hard to not name cliches, so I'm trying really hard to not do <laughs> that. Um, feel free to name them. <laughs> I think of like a specific experience. Am I allowed to share that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I am an RD and I have RAs, and I think of one that I had last year where um, I had made a comment where she was, uh, she aligned more one way politically than the other, and so the conversation that we had as a team, um, unbeknownst to me, made her feel excluded, mm -hmm. and so we went out to dinner uh, the next night, and I had asked her, um, how are you doing? What's going on? And she shared, like, you shared, she, she told me, I shared something that made her feel excluded. And in that moment, my heart just, like, sank, and I was trying to rack through, like, what I had said, and then when she clarified, it was clear that what I had said made her feel excluded. Mm. And then we started talking more about just the context of, of immigration and politics, which was the subject. Um, and the end result was we came to a place where, you know, she as a white female felt excluded. And she started asking me some questions like, what has actually been your experience? Like, why were you not in favor of a Donald Trump? Mm -hmm. um, because in her understanding, she had thought 
and was told that Donald Trump was pro-immigrants all the way, and that if you were an immigrant and you weren't voting for Donald Trump, it didn't make any sense. And like, just for the record, I am, I hate both parties, but um, <laughs> I think in that incident, um, I had shared with her like, hey, do you feel like you trust me as a supervisor, as a person, because we had a great relationship. She's like, I really do trust you. And I said, if you thought that I, uh, if you thought that I believed Donald Trump was so for immigrants the way that you say you believe, then wouldn't you think I would also want him? And she's like, yeah, something's not adding up. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. something's not adding up. And basically the end of that conversation was we were driving back and I just shared it with her again. I said, like, as a supervisor, um, as like the person with just like naming the power dynamics, everything, I said, I just so apologize. Like an RD should never ever make an RA feel excluded. Mm-hmm. And then she just paused, looked at me, received my apology and said, I think this feeling that I had was pretty momentary. It sounds like you've experienced something like this your whole life. Mm. And I just, I like took like 10 steps backward. Like I didn't even know if I could speak for a second and I was just not expecting that. Mm. Um, And to this day, I just respect the the heck out of her and who she is and how she holds like what she believes and the Mm. tensions and yet is willing to hear people, even people she absolutely disagrees with on the other side of the table and tries her best to understand. Um, And I think for students, if you want someone to feel seen and understood, um, it's gonna require for you to sit there, be really curious about where they come from, how they got there without trying to respond, Mm -hmm. and then just receiving that Mm -hmm. and holding that as their own personal experience. It sounds simple. The first act act of love is really to listen. I think if students can do that, this campus, would look drastically different. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, like you both said, this is not the last conversation regarding this topic. Hopefully, it's one of many. Um, I love what you said, John. About it doesn't have to be you going and engaging these. Con- I would actually say, please don't like just go start <laughs> engaging these conversations. Of course. <laughs> um, but being available to like listen openly um, and just sit in it and stuff I think is a great step in itself um I wish we could keep talking and (laughs) all that but we have to you know end soon but before we go um is there anything you guys would just like to promote about anything going on your social media just anything you want to promote here's your time to do it I mean I'm not going to promote my social media but (laughs) (laughs) less students following me is the better probably (laughs) Um, we have an event coming out tonight, but I realize this podcast doesn't come out till later. I think I would just like to promote Mosaic and these unmuted podcasts. And I think if students really want to learn, like you got to go put the effort in, um, put the time in by listening to podcasts like this and spaces that are elevating voices you might not always hear. Um, I think that is the fast, fast track to uh, learning. Mm-hmm. Shout out to you, Bella. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll just, um, I know I talked about it earlier, but we have, um, like I said, we're starting the Loma First Initiative, which is an opportunity for us to create resources and spaces to celebrate first-generation college students, and that's huge. Um, on Tuesday, October 13th, during chapel, we'll be viewing a short video where we get to highlight the stories of some amazing, phenomenal first-gen students who are 
really doing amazing things um, here at Loma. And also, um, it will be followed by a message by Dr. Brower, our mm. university president, who is actually also a first-gen college student. Mm. So it's pretty cool. And so it's just, I think, when we start finding those similarities in our stories, that's when we really start connecting and are able to have better conversations. So excited for what's to come with that and super grateful for this space, for this podcast. And I, I pray it's, it's a blessing for people that, that we really get to see our hearts. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, well, thank you guys both for your time. I'm sure we will be hearing from you both in the future, but until then, thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to our podcast and for supporting us. And stay tuned for when we come back in two weeks as we discuss the power of social media. Until then, be sure to stay safe and we'll see you soon. Take care. This podcast would not be made possible without the Office of Multicultural and International Student Services of Point Loma Nazarene University. Executively produced by Bella Passi. Associately produced by Sarah Gleason. Written and researched by Sage Tabor. Recorded by Ryan Tafoya. Editing and graphics by Michaela Norwood.